0: Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. We're in the financial planning program at the University of Georgia. On today's episode, we're going to talk about paying for college while you're there. By the way, listening to this episode could be likened to watching the second season of Stranger Things without going back and watching the first. Love Stranger Things and that analogy. So if you haven't already, after listening to this episode, go to nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org to listen to the previous one about paying for college while you're in high school. And you don't want to miss out on my Italian-slash-Nigerian accent thing I used for those skits. It was it was horrible, okay? That's an understatement. <laughs> but back to the point of today's show. College is pretty expensive and getting more expensive all the time. Why is that? Where is all this money going? How about our new indoor practice facility for the football team? <laughs> By the way, go dogs! All right, now... They did have a pretty impressive season this year, so it, it must have worked. But new buildings popping up everywhere is, is typically something you see on a student tour, All oh, right. Yes. So parents and high schoolers, you typically have the admissions team, or whatever it may be, they're always showing off the facilities. Chris is over here nodding his head. Yep. The president of the university is cutting the ribbon at the ceremony and the whole <laughs> thing's going on the brochure. We advertise these big buildings. And you know what's crazy too, beyond the big buildings, is that in those brochures, we're also advertising what? Like these wave pools and lazy rivers and beach clubs? Like oh, the yeah. one at the University of Missouri? Oh, yeah. What's these, up with that? Oh, some of these student amenities are, are off the chain. It's crazy. Yeah, how about the ski resort at Michigan Tech? A private steakhouse. Oh, yeah. High Point University. Yeah, that does sound nice. That's, that's fancy. And some of these fancy dorm rooms, oh, my God. They're <laughs> amazing. It's a 12-foot ceiling. Yours, yours and, wasn't fancy? Oh, no. My, the biggest uh, feature of mine was all the garbage on the floor and the that, two that, nerds playing you know Counter-Strike. <laughs> that, that really does not surprise me. But the interesting thing about all of this as parents and students are seeing these facilities is that sometimes that money isn't coming out of tuition dollars, right? Oh, really? Those big buildings are often paid for by donors, hence the name on the buildings, all oh. right? So so there are options to choose to maybe live off campus to do something a little bit cheaper, but all of that actually isn't covered by tuition dollars. So if that's not where our tuition dollars go, where do they go? You know what one of the biggest expenses is? Just keeping the lights on. Oh yeah, it's not cheap to heat and cool and just maintain facilities of a huge institution. No, think about 30,000 students that don't have mom and dad, who are around saying, cut off the lights or cut off the heat while you're out of your dorm room or whatever it may be. That, no, that yeah. stuff's expensive. And believe it or not, those small things add up when we're talking about thousands and thousands of students. Uh-huh. So, so Matt, you have this thing where you, you went and looked at the processes of a university somewhere. And, and what did you come up with? So I used to work for this thing called Operational Excellence at UC Berkeley. Oh, love that title. Oh, It's yes, very excellent. Wow. That's snazzy. Yeah. So we had a few <laughs> things that just you never would think that they affect costs as much. For 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 example, when we started, all the departments bought office supplies on their own. One of the things we did is just say, we're going to buy in bulk for the whole school. Yeah. And just buying in bulk saved $50 million a year. Wow. Wow. Operating costs is a big part, but you know another thing? It's the labor. It's faculty like you who are driving up costs for students like me who are just trying to get out of college with as little amount of debt as possible. Now don't put this on me Uh, personally. Do you see that scooter you got out there? That's a (laughs) pretty nice scooter, dude. Uh, Yeah, hint, hint, UGA. (laughs) I can't afford a car. But uh, I wanted to see what the average professor makes over history, right? So I compared what faculty make now to what they made 50 years ago. And what I found is that the average tenured faculty makes basically the same. Oh, wow. Yeah, once you control for inflation, it's pretty much the same. But the average professor actually makes less money. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and the reason is because there's so many more part-time professors. Okay, okay. So the average professor's salary has actually gone down. So even if they've gone down, maybe you professors are are still just overpaid. Okay, so professors do make more than the average person their age. Okay. okay. All right. 65000 for professors versus 40000 for people who are the same age when they start. All right. But okay. let's look at PhDs in academia versus PhDs in industry. All right. so do you have good news for me because I'm actually uh, uh, in that process? <laughs> yes. Well, you should go to industry because if you do, you'll make 30% more money on average. All right. So I've just wasted, what, three years of my life uh, What I could have just done that. Interesting. All right. Mm. What about... You know, administrative professionals, is, is is that something to consider when we think about college costs? Well, and if you look at how much it costs to go to college, a lot of it comes back to all these other staff members. Wow! And you know what? There's twice as many staff at colleges today than there was back in the 1980s. Absolutely. Hence the need for the wave pool and, the steakhouse oh, and the, the got winter, a steakhouse and the winter resort. <laughs> Now, the salaries of these staff members aren't outrageous. They okay. actually make the average for what you would expect based on where they live. All right. It's just that there's so many of them. Okay. Why are there so many admins on the college campus? Okay, like what of- is the what is the root here? What's the purpose? All right. Think about it. Without those administrators, who's going to run the financial aid office? Absolutely. Or the health center. Or the careers and internship office. Or the gym, campus maintenance and security. In fact, Chris is right here with us right now helping us out with the radio show. Yeah. We wouldn't right. have this show if it wasn't for UGA Absolutely. Staff. All right. So- All these administrators are responsible for the holistic aspects of the college experience. I love that word, holistic aspect of it. And having worked in higher education for several years, I can personally attest to how admins nearly always play a vital role in a student success story. So colleges are trying to deliver a lot of value with these rising costs, but someone still needs to pay. So what's advice for students on how to pay for all this? Yeah, well... I think the first thing is, do you actually need all the amenities offered by a big school? Maybe cut costs by going to a cheaper school if that's right for you. Yeah, like a public in-state school or a community college. Yeah, if you're hurting to pay for school, maybe broaden the horizon of what type of school you may be interested in and apply elsewhere after you've explored your options for additional aid, scholarships, grants, work study, et cetera. Think of it like booking a stay at the Hilton. Love the Hilton. Mm. But when you're there, you realize they really don't have free Wi-Fi and no one in the hotel bar wants to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) No one in the hotel bar ever wants to talk to me. So then you cancel your reservation and you stay at a Motel 6 and you get that free Wi-Fi. Now, people may judge you based on which hotel or school... You went to, and this just doesn't happen to students. This happens to parents as well. But if you go to a very large state school, you might be taking large lecture classes, like the one that Matt teaches. Yeah, mine's amazing. (laughs) What's amazing about your class? Everything. Everything does. Does it have that personal touch when you're teaching all seven hundred or six hundred kids? It's eleven hundred. Eleven. I am sorry. Come to my office hours. (laughs) Shoot me that email. Go on the link. But what we're saying here is that in some instances. to be successful as a student, you may need a little bit more of that personal touch, and maybe a larger institution may not be that school for you. And yeah. in some instances, you can do what, Matt? Even if the prestige is there, the value might not be, so look for the options that are actually going to pay off. So didn't you bring a special guest on to talk about some of this stuff? Oh, I did indeed. <laughs> to help us navigate all of this, we asked Brenda Vaughn from Georgia Futures to come back on the show. She's going to help us understand what resources are available for college students while they're in college to help cut costs. Hi, Brenda. Welcome back. Hi. Thanks for having me. Last time we talked about paying for college as a high school student. So once I pass that threshold into college, how does the game change?
1: The biggest thing is people tend to stop looking for scholarships. They're like, oh. They're all for people coming into high school. I'm done. And really, you have a whole new target of places to look for scholarships. And the biggest place is at your own campus through the financial aid office, through admissions. That kind of happens when you get admitted and enroll. Mm -hmm. Um, But your academic department, check with your dean. Check with the administrative assistants uh, in your departments. They know everything. Um, You can apply for federal work study, which is a part-time job on campus. If you don't qualify because it's need-based, you can still get jobs on campus. Mm -hmm. Get a job in the department your school is in. So if you're in family consumer sciences, see if you can get a part-time job within that department. Because once the people and the faculty and the dean and everyone know who you are and you're networking, they're going to be more likely when they hear of a scholarship or a paid internship, they're going to be, I know exactly the person.
0: There's some myths, I think, about the financial aid office, and and I think I had these when I was an undergraduate. One of them, I shouldn't even bother wasting my time with financial aid because my family makes a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't have any need.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is they want to know exactly what is that income amount. When you're filling out the FAFSA, the federal government has a huge calculation to figure out your expected family contribution, what they feel your family should be able to contribute to the child's college education. And it includes how many people are in your household, how, uh, what income do the parents make, what income do the, the student make, what assets do you have, you know, those kinds of things. So there's no one answer of it's this amount of money. So, if you have I don't know fifty thousand dollars, you think, "Oh, I'm not going to qualify." If you have eight people in the household, well, sure. you might You're stretching be those you might be And it looks at if you have five of those people in college, right, then that EFC is split amongst the five students. so so you actually could be available, even in private schools, they have, money to give campus aid, and you may be high in your income, but you may not be as high as everybody else that you're in in the school with. Right. So therefore, fill it out and right. see what happens.
0: You still qualify for the need-based... Based uh, on the campus, right, not right. on federal aid. Okay, so fafsa.gov, fill out the FAFSA. Mm-hmm. That opens you up for the need-based aid. And how about the merit-based aid?
1: So the merit-based scholarships, all of that, you're going to have to find on your own. Now, I don't have the magic key of the exact scholarship that fits you. On, right. You know, and that's what I get a lot. Well, I'm I'm in nursing, or I'm in such and such, and which one? I, there are so many. Um, there are many different websites. One is FinAid, F-I-N-A-I-D dot com, FastWeb. F-A-S-T-W-E-B dot com. College Board has some scholarship searches. GAFutures.org has scholarship searches. So there's many different places you can look for it, uh, but you have to take time to do it. And a lot of times I tell seniors, find two a week. Just two a week and apply for them. Because they're so similar. And when we're thinking of college students in the
0: financial aid office, Do you have the biggest mistake you see people make?
1: Leaving without actually understanding. One of the things that I think we in the office need to step back sometimes and think, you know, this is the first time the student has been through this process and we Mm -hmm. need to take more time to explain it. So when we go through and explain it really fast, like you should know what every acronym we're saying means, ask us to stop. And just say, I really don't know what EFC means. Can you explain that to me? Because if you can stop us to explain it better for you to understand, it's going to be better for you because, number one, you're going to know if you have other choices. And then number two, typically on like Friday afternoons or Monday morning, we get the student that... Mom said you were supposed to go by the financial aid office or you forgot to go by the financial <laughs> aid office. Yeah. So you can better explain to your mom or your parent what they want to know. And mm-hmm. then you don't have to keep hearing from them. But I think it's so important for parents to actually give the student that responsibility. And
0: that's great advice, I think, not just for student financial aid, but for the whole college process. Mm-hmm. Feel empowered. Feel confident um, and get the, the answers that you absolutely. need. Absolutely. If the stuff sounds complicated, talk to the financial aid absolutely, office. Absolutely,
1: because it is. <laughs> yes.
0: Feel empowered to do that. Get the help that you need. If you're still in high school, then the Georgia Student Finance Commission, that's a great resource absolutely. at GAFutures.org. Brenda Vaughn, thank you again for coming on our show. Really much appreciated. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I absolutely loved that interview. Yeah, Brenda's great. Yeah, it's it's almost like, and bear with me here, the financial process represents the tunnels that the shadow monster was creating under Hawkins. Oh my god. And Brenda is similar to Bob, right? who comes Mm -hmm. along and makes sense of the tunnel system, Mm -hmm. which ultimately leads to closing the gate between an Upside Down and our world, right? Right, Like, does that that make sense? Yeah, you're obsessed with Stranger Things. All right, yeah, I am, but (laughs) all right. Maybe that was a little bit of a stretch, but my point is that navigating the financial aid process can feel somewhat like a maze. Now, let's say you've taken all this advice and you've done everything you can do to cut costs. What if it's not enough? Well, then you may be looking at student loans. Heck no, what was that? Yeah, I just was saying student loans. Dude, this is going to get old quick. I hope not, because we're talking about those things. Ah, geez, I didn't even say it that time. I know. We'll touch on the subject. Good. We're in the clear after the break. You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money on WUGA Athens. 91.7 and 94.5 FM. I'm Matt Gorin. And this is Michael Thomas. Visit us on campus at the Aspire Clinic. Or online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org.
1: Support for Nothing Funny
0: About Money comes from UGA's Department of Financial Planning, Housing, and Consumer Economics. Offering bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees on campus in Athens and Griffin, or online. FHCE.UGA.EDU. Please leave a message after the tone. Hey, sweetie, it's Daddy. Just wanted to drop a little quick message to you. I hope things are going well. So proud of everything you're doing in college. Unfortunately, a little hiccup in things. (laughs) Yeah, we sort of, yeah, well, kind of gambled away a little bit too much at Vegas recently. And yeah, it sort of ate into the the old college fund. Just just a touch. Well, actually, pretty much the entire year is gone, sweetie. And so we're hoping that that little barista job
1: you got, hope you can put in a few extra hours there because well, we're going to need it. So uh, anyway, have a good day, sweetie, and hope everything's going well. Bye.
0: Putting all jokes aside for a moment, a lot of people are depending on their families to pay for college. That's right. Family support and savings is still the number one way to pay for college. But in some cases, that just isn't happening. The number two way to pay for college is through scholarships and grants. If that doesn't work, you may need to turn the loans. You don't have to pay back scholarships, but you do have to repay student loans. Exactly. Who would want to pay back more in student loans than they have to? I know. And it's not like 11 is going to show up out of nowhere and use their psychic ability to do away with the demogorgon. I mean student loans when it's all said and done. do you, you need to get off Netflix, man. Look, so speaking of demogorgons, God, I mean student loans. Dang, Mike. God, are we being paid for all these plugs? More and more people are depending on student loans to pay for college. If you're saying that more and more people are depending on student loans, and I know that you're a very objective person, Matt. Mm-hmm. Do you have some statistics on this? I'm sure you do. Oh, Of course I do. All right, so yeah. what do we got? Student loan debt is the highest it's ever been, now surpassing even credit card debt. Wow. Yeah, $1.4 trillion in the United States. All right, so, so what are we looking at when it comes to the... Uh, the average debt load for for students and how that's impacting students. So that $1.4 trillion is spread over 40 million Americans. Okay. That's about one in four adults. Okay, And the average debt for people graduating now is over $36,000. Wow. This actually impacts the entire family. Some may call this the the sandwich generation in, in many respects, especially for parents, because now you have parents who are taking care of older parents who are trying to pay back maybe student loans themselves and make a living and also are trying to help their, their sons and daughters. Even though parents are facing these competing demands, 78% of which said that they would do whatever they could to help their son or daughter afford college, which is including drawing down from the 401k, taking on a second job, Um, taking out a second mortgage, all of these different things, which is crazy when you think about it. Yeah, this could be a big problem for people who are really close to retirement. Absolutely. Pulling money out of those funds means then they don't have enough money to live on after they stop working, which then puts the burden back on their children. (laughs) And (laughs) And and who's going to pay for all of this? (laughs) Yeah, because now we're in this cycle of that sandwich generation across time. All right, and in doing this, you know another thing that parents are doing? They're taking out Parent PLUS loans. And these Parent PLUS loans, on average nationally, is between twenty-three dollars and $25,000. Now, let's think about this. Let's step back a little bit. Socioeconomic status has some implications here. So if you have a family who's coming from a low social economic status, and they're taking out $23,000, and guess what? Let's say their son or daughter doesn't finish college. It really is the worst of both worlds. Oh, my goodness. Because you have the debt that you've got to pay back but you don't have the greater income, that made it all worthwhile. Absolutely. This sounds like a scenario where students are constantly faced with making like life-altering decisions to get off a remote island somewhere, kind of uh, survivor-ish? Oh, I think so, too. Which is exactly why we're hosting <laughs> Student <laughs> Loan Survivor. Contestants, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. And what's your name?
2: My name is Patrick Collins. I'm a graduate student here at the University of Georgia. And you are?
3: I am Anastasia Beaverhausen, and I am a graduate student at Georgia as well.
0: All right, great. I'm going to ask you a few questions, and your responses will either put some money in your pockets or take it away. Mm. At the end of our journey, we'll see who ends up with more money and more happiness. Any questions? No, No. No questions. All right, then let's get started. You're at the financial aid office, and get your offer letter. They've offered you way more loan money than you need to pay for school. How much do you take? Patrick, go ahead.
2: I would probably just take out what's necessary, nothing unnecessary, especially if you're dealing with private loans or unsubsidized loans. Those can get pretty expensive in terms of interest, though so you're going to want to take
0: out just minimal amounts. Ooh, I'm sorry, Patrick. That's not going to put a lot of money in your pocket. How about you, Anastasia?
3: Well, I think that I would take out as much as they will give me. Free money, baby, right? You can't take your debt with you, so just rack it up.
0: That's right. That's going to put a lot of money in your pocket. Now, question number two. You notice your bank account is running low. Do you use student loans to pay for living expenses outside of school? How about you, Patrick?
2: So if you don't have family funds already and you're not working part-time, yeah, I'd say go ahead and take out loans or use the loans for the extra expenses, but just enough to reduce your stress so you can stay focused on your coursework. Oh,
0: I'm sorry. That's not going to put any money in that bank account. How about you, Anastasia?
3: Forget living expenses. If you're not taking international vacations, listen to me. You're doing it wrong. How else am I supposed to pay for this year's Rose Bowl? Go dogs!
0: Go dogs indeed. That put a lot of money in your bank account, Anastasia. Woohoo! Alright, next question. Graduation is coming up. When should you pay down student loans? Patrick, how about you? You're going to
2: want to pay them off as soon as you can. It, it will depend on the interest rates on your loans and, of course, your budget. If you're a little strained, it's okay to let it stick around for a few years, but paying them off as
0: soon as you can out of graduation is probably your best bet. Right on. That would put a lot of money in your bank account. How about you, Anastasia?
3: Wait, We have we have to pay them back? I thought... That was, that was free money, right?
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong answer. That's going to drain your bank account. All right, you two. Final question. After graduation, what happens if you don't make your loan payments? Patrick, what do you think?
2: You're probably going to want to get on the phone with a, the loan service provider as fast as you can. There's a lot of payment plans you can use um, that help you schedule a payment plan that fits your budget. And that
0: way you can avoid default. Right answer. That's going to put you in the best position after graduation. Now, how about you, Anastasia?
3: I have a game plan for this. You should actively try not paying your loans. Don't answer any phone calls or respond to any emails that are marked urgent. After a while, this all just goes away, right? Try taking that money from me. I dare you.
0: Oh, no, Anastasia. That's a terrible answer, and we'll leave you destitute. Anastasia's defaulted and is getting her paychecks garnished. Oh, and uh, good luck with that credit score, by the way.
3: Why, God, why?
0: Patrick, congrats. You're our winner. How does it feel?
2: Oh, man, I feel great. Very, very happy with myself. Wasn't excited about going into debt, but, you know, loans got me in and through school, and I'm glad I got a job that I can use to pay them off now.
0: Sounds great. Congratulations again. And that's it, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. Wow, some people have some big misconceptions about student loans. Looks like we need some good old-fashioned financial education here, right? Yeah, let's get some definitions on paper. (laughs) There are two major types of student loans. There are. Yeah, subsidized and and unsubsidized. unsubsidized. And the only difference is that subsidized loans, the federal government steps in and is paying the interest for you while you're in school versus the unsubsidized loans, you're on your own. So subsidized versus unsubsidized is something to think about while you're still in school. Absolutely. But eventually you'll do what's called an exit interview and you'll decide how to pay back those loans. Absolutely. And there, there are several options. One of the things you're going to have to consider is standard versus extended, right? Standard which is 10 years, and the other option is the extended option, which is 25 years. The only difference is the time frame in which you're paying back your loans. The caveat here is that with the standard process, you're going to pay more a month on your student loan, but less over the entirety of the student loan repayment process. Right. So if you're having trouble making those monthly payments, you might choose the extended option. Keep those monthly payments low until you get your budget figured out. But then ultimately you're paying more interest on the loan over time. And that really is the difference in a nutshell. And there's also the graduated versus level, right? If you're having trouble making monthly payments, you might also consider the graduated option instead of the level option. Mm -hmm. Level, of course, is you just pay the same thing every single month. Graduated, you pay less at first and more later. And this has the same issue as the standard versus extended. If you do graduate it, it's going to help out your budget in the short term, But you're going to pay more interest in the long term. While you have options to to lower your your monthly payments, you know, sometimes even that may be too much. About one-fourth of borrowers are in delinquency or default. And that has a really big impact on student loans. Besides, of course, the credit score problem, every time you go into default, you get dinged a 14% penalty on the entire balance. So if you go default on a hundred thousand dollars in student loans, yeah. they just tagged on a fourteen thousand dollar penalty. Yeah, that's a pretty big hit. And you know, the the big part about this process that every student needs to be aware of is that you can't easily get out of a student loan. You can't you can't enter into bankruptcy for this process. Right. Unlike a secured loan, like a car, where you say, hey, just take the car. Yeah. Or <laughs> or here, take my degree, right? I don't want it anymore. I'm not gonna do anything with it anyway. Yeah, they don't they don't want your degree. <laughs> See if it's useless to you, it's even more useless to them. <laughs> okay, so what happens if you are facing this debt burden? What can you do? Well fortunately the federal government also offers a few special payment plans like income-based repayment or pay-as-you-earn that can cap your payments at 10 to 15% of your earnings. Absolutely. And, and the, the important thing to understand about the pay-as-you-earn, there's also a repay-as-you-earn option, which allows a greater pool of individuals to be able to alter their student loans to make it easier to pay for. Now, keep in mind, these are federal protections, so be careful about private loans. You've got to check with your loan servicer for information. But (laughs) student loan processors or servicers might not be super helpful for advice either, right, Matt? Oh, you might be talking about Navient. Yeah, the Navient scandal. Navient wanted to see borrowers pay the most amount of money in the least amount of time, no matter what the law said. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of CFPB, and they actually sued Navient for really not doing what was in the best interests of students who were calling these trusted service providers for those things, such as repay. It's important to contact your service loan provider, but you also need to be mindful of what options are available to you and to ask for those things specifically. So if you can't talk to your service provider, get help. Speak to another advisor like us at the Aspire Clinic. Absolutely. And I I promise you, if you do it, it'll save you a lot of time and a lot of stress throughout the process. And another thing that you do is to take some time to review sites like federalstudentaid.gov. They even have an excellent YouTube page. So if you're not big on reading a lot of words, (laughs) you can (laughs) watch watch cartoons. You can watch cartoons and get the same exact information. It's out there. They're really thinking about you, okay? So utilize these services. You can also look at sites like studentloanhero.com. And thinaid.org. Absolutely. There's so much information out there, Matt. But again, the point here is just make sure that you're educating yourself before you're just making a call and just trusting anyone. Because unfortunately, with this whole Naviat thing, we have to go the extra mile to ensure that we're doing what's in the best interest of our listeners. So, all said. You do not have to wait until after you've graduated to start actively managing your debt load and thinking about your future self. If you're listening to all this financial mumbo jumbo and it's not doing it for you, think about your loans from a money and happiness point I of view. love that. A good predictor of happiness is pay now, enjoy later. This is true whether we're talking about a credit card after the vacation or student loans after the fancy dorm room is just a memory. So to the extent that you can, try to pay for college while wow. You're in college. Is that it? Ah, I think so. Thanks again to Brenda Vaughn, Judge Johnson, and Aperba Banerjee. And thanks, as always, to our executive producer, Chris Shoup, and our audio engineer, Garrett Burke. Until next time, peace. You've been listening to Nothing Funny About Money. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. This program is made possible by the College of Family and Consumer Sciences at the University of Georgia in cooperation with WUGA. For more information about our program, visit us online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. Or need help? Get it! Visit us on campus at the Aspire Clinic. Thanks for listening.